Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember, if you've got to walk off to work or otherwise walk away from your radio, you don't have to miss out on the show here on Detroit Today. You can go to iTunes or wherever it is you download podcasts. If you download and subscribe to Detroit Today, you can take us with you and you can listen whenever you are ready. One of the most exciting and controversial things happening in Detroit since Mayor Mike Duggan took office four years ago is arguably the Detroit Land Bank Authority. While it's taken control of vast quantities of vacant land and dilapidated homes, it's also come under federal scrutiny for its handling of contracts and breakneck pace of business. Many of the calls we get from listeners here on the show when it comes to issues with city government have to do with the land bank. So why would someone want to take on such a monumental task of leading that authority? That's where we begin the show today with the new head of the Land Bank Authority, CEO Saskia Thompson. Saskia, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And uh, listeners, if you have questions about the Land Bank, if you have questions about property generally here, property management in the city of Detroit, the things that we're doing in Stable neighborhoods, the things that we're doing in unstable neighborhoods, anything at all about property and property management here in the city, give us a call. Join the conversation at 313-577-1019. That's the number on the phones, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Saskia, I want to start with uh, just a little about you. Uh, You come to this job from uh, Philadelphia, but uh, you're a native Detroiter. So this is a homecoming. Um, Talk about what uh, what interested you in coming to run the Land Bank Authority uh, here in Detroit. Well, as you mentioned, I'm a native Detroiter and I left about 15 years ago, but I started off my career in government here, um, spent time in the Detroit Planning Department in the 90s, and then worked for former Mayor Dennis Archer, and then I left in 2002, and I went to um, Charlotte, North Carolina. I was there for about nine years, and of course, Charlotte was a very, very different city, lots of interesting things going on, but most of their challenges were associated with with growth, Mm -hmm. which having left Detroit in the early 2000s, Detroit was obviously experiencing the opposite problem. And then in 2011, and I, I went to Philadelphia, and I've been there for the past six and a half years. I think, you know, I've, I've done interesting work in both of those other cities, but of course Detroit is my hometown. And when you get a call on a job like the Land Bank, you first ask a lot of questions, which of course I did. I, you know, talked to my entire network of people and got lots of opinions about what was working, what wasn't working, and what needed to be done differently or better or what needed to be um, more of or less of. And ultimately, I just decided that it was a challenge I couldn't pass up. It yeah. just is uh, kind of a culmination of everything that I've been doing both here and other places, and it's time to come back and put my skills to use here. Yeah. How, how much did the federal investigation weigh into your deliberations about coming back here? I know you can't talk much about uh, mm-hmm. the detail there, but I'm curious. I mean, you're, you're in, a, in a job in another city uh, looking at, from the outside, what's going on here, uh, then you sort of decide, well, I want to I join this mm-hmm. agency. But there is this cloud of an, an ongoing investigation that we don't know. Uh, I guess we don't really know much of the scope of it at this point, even in terms of uh, where they are or, or what they're about to do. 
it seems like a, a kind of question mark uh, that that might scare some people off. Why did it not dissuade you? Um, well, I, I, you know, obviously I did a lot of due diligence and asked a lot of questions, and I would say that while it's certainly a question mark, and it, it has been and, and until all of those investigations are complete, it will remain a question mark, but I was assured, and I still do believe, that the land bank has done everything that it can to cooperate, has done, and will continue to do so. And ultimately, if you look at the portfolio of work that the land bank is responsible for, the component that is under investigation is certainly important, but it is not the only thing that the land bank is doing. And in fact, it's not even the bulk of the workload, the daily in and out, the the, um, the stuff that the land bank is doing. It's a very small portion of the staff that was impacted by this. And while the you know the the budget that's allocated to that you know to the demolition contracts. It's it's a large budget. We need to make sure that we're doing it right. But it's not the only thing that's going on. Yeah. Uh, it, so when I I looked at what the land bank had been doing and could be doing and the ways in which it can make an actual impact in Detroit, that is an import, important component. But it's not the most important thing. And so I figured I could come here and while that investigation is continuing to do you know kind of wend its way through that process. I can focus on all of the other th- good things that the land bank is doing out in the community and make those better and more visible and more accessible to people. Yeah. Uh, one of the things when we talk about what the uh, federal grand jury investigation is about, one of the tensions I think that's inherent uh, in that issue is this question of how fast you can go mm-hmm. with demolition. Uh, and that's not a new question here in Detroit. I mean, uh, I can go back to the 90s, really, uh, and talk right. about uh, this 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 idea that we had a growing number of abandoned homes that probably didn't have futures. Uh, and, and mayors mm-hmm. since then have been talking about, okay, what do we do about that? And how fast can we do it? Uh, talk about how you navigate that tension between Wanting to make sure that houses don't sit and and blight, you know, uh, areas where there are occupied houses, but then having to to comply with some pretty onerous rules uh, mm-hmm. that the federal government puts on these uh, these processes, as well as the the state. Did we go too fast before, and is there a slowed pace now? So I I really am not in a position to talk about. Whether or not we went too fast, I think that is kind of the prevailing wisdom, <clears throat> excuse me, over, you know, some of the challenges that we faced. But what I, what I can say is what we're doing now, and I think there are, the rules are onerous, but they are there for a reason. And we are always going to be under pressure to go faster from, you know, anyone who is living in a neighborhood where there are homes that are on the demolition list. We're always going to be under pressure to go faster for really good reasons, if I, you know, I would. I want those homes down too. Sure. But the rules are there for a reason. We need to make sure that we are respecting all of the environmental processes that are in place. We need to make sure that all of the, you know, that we are literally paying attention to every detail in that process from stop to start to finish, from the contracting process all the way to fill, backfilling the homes and making sure that that invoicing goes back to the state in a way that is appropriate and auditable. So, did we go too fast? Perhaps so. Do people want us to go faster than we're going now? They certainly do. And all I can say is we're going to go as fast as we can 
while still making sure that we are not skipping any of steps in that process because those steps are there for a reason. Yeah. What about the recent reports about lead poisoning among children in uh, Detroit showing that they had levels, in some cases, at least as high as what we saw in Flint, where the entire water supply had been had been poisoned? Uh, I heard a lot of people say that also is a function of demolition, that, that we're putting too much lead in the air. Why wouldn't the the proper response to that be to say, all right, we're just going to stop demoing for now and assess what's going on and what effect it's having on kids' health and and then get back to it? Well, I don't I don't know how that's going to resolve itself. Um, you know, we at the land bank and at, also with the DBA are in close communication with our public health officials and making sure that you know kids are being tested that we are. <clears throat> testing the demolition process as it's going on to really do a better job of ascertaining where why those values are higher. I think there's a whole host of reasons that they can be higher, and demolition may be one of them, but mm-hmm. it's certainly not the only one. I think, so for me, again, we're, we're going to make sure that we are following any process put in place protect, to protect the health and safety of you know our citizens. We also want to make sure that we're balancing on on the other side to make sure we are eliminating blight and all of the dangers that that has to healthy families in the community. And we've got to walk that balance and we'll continue to do so. We're going to, we will follow any process that we need to, to make sure that we're, you know, not making the environmental situation worse yeah. than it already is. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. My guest is Saskia Thompson. She is the new CEO of the Detroit Land Bank Authority. We're talking about the land bank, talking about the process of demolitions. We're going to talk a little bit later about property management more generally with the land bank. Demolition is actually just a pretty small part of what the land bank does, a pretty small part of uh, the the universe of properties that it is responsible for or thinking about. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, have a question about the land bank, uh, have you bought a house from the land bank or considered buying one? What do you make of an authority like the land bank that deals with vacant homes? Is that a better way to deal with all these vacant homes than we had before? And do you see improvement in the vacant home problem here in Detroit as a result of the things that the land bank is doing. If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Joanne in Detroit. Joanne, well, I, yes, how hi. did I know you would call about the land? Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, first of all, I'd like to say not everybody wants the land bank to knock houses down at such a fast rate. I am very concerned that houses were knocked down in my neighborhood that did not need to come down. And proof of that is that uh, you just, you're about to auction off some fire damaged properties in my neighborhood when two family brick flats that had no fire damage but maybe a bad porch were knocked down. And I know some one person who wanted to save one of those buildings. So I just want to say not everybody agrees you need to go so fast. I'm very concerned that you're demolishing the historic housing stock of Detroit uh, and without being real careful about what really needs to go down. But I, I just had to add that. That isn't what I told your person I was going to talk about. But I could comment further on that because when I brought up the issue of salvageable buildings going down and that Mayor Duggan told us in April 2015 at Little Rock Baptist Church they weren't going to knock down salvageable buildings and I beg to disagree. 
uh, Richard Hosey's response was, well, maybe in 2014 it wasn't salvageable, but 2017 it is. Well, I mentioned that to a contractor last night. He's like, no, that's not the way you yeah. determine salvageability. Is Joanne, we need, to get to your, we need to get to your question, uh, and, and I, I want to give you a chance, but, but we can't keep talking about uh, other stuff. C- can, can you get to what you wanted to say? Lawsuit Joanne, Joanne, people to take their vacant property. <laughs> Joanne, but allow me to say one other thing. I tried to bid on a house yesterday, and the system wouldn't let me in. Okay, all right. And then second well, of all, me, all right, right Joanne, that's the, we don't get a uh, we don't get like three or four bites at the apple there. Uh, Saskia, do you want to answer her? Her, I, I think there is a legitimate question in. Uh, uh, how much we tear down, how much we try to save. Uh, in, in some neighborhoods, uh, we've taken down an awful lot. Uh, in other neighborhoods, there's stuff just, just sitting there. Talk about how you make those decisions. So, first of all, we have had instances where there's a house that's on the demo list where somebody approaches us about that specific house and says, I, I'm, I'm interested in renovating. I think that I've got the financial wherewithal and the expertise to uh to renovate that house and it can be pulled off the demo list. So that is a possibility, but it is a rare possibility because the bottom line is many of these homes, the cost to renovate is far exceeds the actual value of that house. I do think though that will change as the overall economic picture in any neighborhood changes. So any house that gets sold or renovated improves the you know economic picture for What's that block. the tide for it, the, uh, exactly. the block, Exactly. Right? And so homes that are on the demo list because of the you know economic picture, what it would cost to actually renovate it and put it on the market. When that balance tips, it is no longer a demolition house. It becomes something that can be renovated and marketed differently. So, And I really want to stress that. The demolitions is one component of an entire program around making neighborhoods healthy in areas where we own land. We own land all over the city. Mm-hmm. And anytime we can put a family in a house that changes the dynamic of that block, that neighborhood. It it reduces the need to to demolish, excuse me, to demolish homes. And that is our goal. So we will continue to demolish places where we have to, but that's, that's, we're doing it because we have to, not because we want to. And every chance that we have to renovate a house rather than knocking it down is a chance that we want to take. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Saskia Thompson. She's the new CEO of the Detroit Land Bank Authority. And we are going to take more of your calls. Cindy in Ferndale, Melissa in Detroit, Chris in Detroit. We'll get to you next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Saskia Thompson. She is the new CEO of the Detroit Land Bank Authority. We are talking about the land bank and the general state of vacant property here in the city of Detroit. We're talking about demolition. Some of the, Sometimes that's what happens with some of this property. We're also going to talk about some of the other things that the land bank is involved in demolition is actually a pretty small part of what they do over at the land bank. They're involved in a lot of other things that are attempting to reverse the tide of blight and abandonment in Detroit neighborhoods. If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313 313- 
577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Maggie Love on Twitter says, My grandparents called about a house on Iowa Street that was vacant for over 20 years. It's just now being torn down. That's something that I hear a lot from folks here in the city. It's also something I have experience with in the neighborhood uh, where I was born over on the west side. Lots of houses on that street have been vacant for a really long time. I helped tear down one uh, just a a month and a half ago that was there for 10 years or 11 years uh, sitting vacant. Talk about how we manage... um, you know, uh, that that issue. How long are things sitting and waiting? And I, I guess it sort of depends on neighborhood, right? It does. And and we've we've done some some research on this because I remembered when, when I came back to Detroit a, a few months ago, I remember that when I was working in the planning department in the late 90s, we had estimates of how many vacant or if, you know, s- somehow homes that had come into public ownership and that number was really high. So I'm coming back now in 2017 <clears throat> to manage the land bank and looking at this inventory. And I know that some of that inventory has been in some form of pu- public ownership for decades, long before there was a land bank. Um, it's been transferred to the land bank as a way to streamline the process for all things that need to happen, whether that's demolition or renovation or, or um, you know, batching properties for sale in any way, shape or form. But this is not a new problem. This is a problem that Detroit has had for decades. Yeah. And we're not going to be able to manage our way out of it quickly we can manage our way out of it in a steady pace, and that's what we're hoping to do. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, let's go to Nick in Detroit. Nick, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Um, I have a question about uh, that concerns uh, the vacant land that's uh, under the authority of the land bank. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of talk about vacant properties uh, in terms of structures and homes, but a significant amount of the land and the property that the land bank has authority over is vacant. It's just vacant lots. You're talking about vacant lots, right? Now. Vacant lots, yeah. yes. Uh, and just for uh, context, uh, I own, uh, I have uh, four vacant lots in the McDougal Hunt uh, neighborhood, and uh, maybe about in, in a single block. And in this block, it's uh, there's maybe about. 30 to 40 percent, maybe a third are occupied by existing homes. The rest of the two-thirds to three-quarters are vacant land, and most of that land is is uh, under the, the authority of uh, it's the ownership of the land bank. Mm-hmm. So what, does, what program or policy does the land bank have uh, for ordinary citizens to acquire uh, vacant lots yeah. if they want to have ideas about improving the neighborhood in terms of, say, growing an orchard, right. having right. an orchard, uh, urban farming, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, Nick, that's a great question. Thanks for calling and asking. Saskia, how, how do you manage vacant lots? Is that different than the way you manage uh, vacant houses? Well, it, you know, first let me say that's a great question. And of our total inventory, probably about 60% of it actually is vacant land. And in some cases, again, that land has been vacant for decades, and then every time you know a house is demolished, then that's that's another vacant land. So first, if it's if we're talking about property that's adjacent to a structure, we have a side lot program. It's been it's you know people seem to really like this program. If you've got a house, you can buy the house next the lot next to you, yeah. uh, and just keep that as open space. You know, just um, in many cases, people are already maintaining this land, and now you can you can own it for a hundred dollars. 
<clears throat> we've sold a, a, about you know over 8,000 of those lots since 2014, and we will continue to do so. So that's that's one component of it. But of course, that's not going to get at that huge inventory that we're talking about. So I will say, I don't know that we have a full picture of all of the things that are possible on that land right now, but it is something that is occupying a lot of our time and a lot of our thought, and we are interested in any thoughts that people have about how to do that. Um, in, in, in areas that are closer into um, neighborhoods where there, there is a lot, lot of activity, we've got lots of interest on those lots and you know, com- competing interests sometimes where we have to neg- navigate our way through that, uh, where some peop- somebody might want to uh, build on it, somebody else might want to farm on it, and we have to f- have a very uh, thoughtful approach to how we handle those conflicts. Yeah. We also have areas, there's no market doesn't appear to be any interest, and we really need to think through what we can do with those to turn them back into some use that is of benefit to the rest of I mean, our One of the things we've always talked about in the city is is the utility of lots of vacant lots together. In other words, mm-hmm. if you can aggregate them and uh, you know sell them as one, sometimes there's more interest than if it's just this lot or, or that. But it's also true that in a lot of neighborhoods, that just doesn't really present itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the vacant lots are where they are. They aren't always contiguous. Correct. Uh, but I think in areas, there are a lot of areas where the land bank ownership is, you know, 60 to 90 percent of all the land in a neighborhood. And that really does give us an opportunity and we should think of it as such. So, I, you know, I, I like the example, um, you know, projects that the city is working on where you're bringing all of the city's resources to one particular area like Fitzgerald. The city had some ownership. The land bank had some ownership. There were still some homes that were occupied, and we're looking at ways where we can market those land bank-owned vacant lots and homes together to make a concerted effort to repopulate one particular area of town that's already adjacent to some neighborhoods that are um, that are already stable. Right. And, and it's just it's one way that we can really put that all, package package it together as a larger deal and really make an impact. Yeah. Uh, Nick, thanks very much for the call and the question. Joe in Detroit, you're up next. Good morning. Detroit, thanks go ahead. for taking my call. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm an active shopper on the land bank um, right now, and I have been since I moved to Detroit about two years ago. Um, I see the, the opportunity. I want to act on it. But one of the things I'd be most interested in doing is acquiring the blighted houses near me, near my property, so that basically I can help build a block at a time. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, sort of a double advantage doing that. What I don't know is how to identify these properties and get get access to them or know when they'll come up to bid. Because if I get tied up in one, I can't buy another one. That's my question. Yeah. Great question. Uh, Thanks, Joe. So that's a great question, and we get that a lot. So the first thing I will say is, you know, we do auction homes every day, and we have a website that has, a li- uh, you know, properties that we are actively marketing that are for sale. That is not the full inventory that we have. We There's a lot of things that there, – there's a whole host of reasons that you may not see those available online, but that doesn't mean that you can't reach out and ask us about them. So we're revamping our website to make it a little bit easier to understand how what the process to use to go about getting a hold of those properties but if you are interested in a property that is owned by the that you know is owned by the land bank and you don't see it on the auction site or you don't see it on the own it website own it now uh, website um, there's a application a property ownership application that will be very visible on our website you can submit it you can you know put it in there and we will will work with you to see if there's a way we can't sell these properties we want it is our goal to put properties back into productive use, yeah. 
and we are interested in doing that in a whole host of platforms. So mm. even if you don't see it, uh, you can always submit an inquiry online that comes directly to my staff, and we can work through that issue okay. with you. Yeah. Cindy in Ferndale, last call on this segment. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Um, Thanks for taking my call. My question is about the leadership of the land bank. I've only been following it for probably, I don't know, three or four years since I moved back. And but I've kind of lost track of how many CEOs there have been of the land bank. It seems like, I don't know, there have been at least four. And I wonder if you could speak to that, why it's been such a revolving door. Yeah, great question, Cindy. Thanks. (laughs) that. Uh, Saskia, which, which number are you? I don't. I, I uh, well, may have lost track, too. I'm not sure that I know either, and I, I would prefer not to focus on that. I, I, I might be the fourth, but um, I, there's a whole host of reasons. I think um, this, this work is not easy. Uh, it's incredibly complicated. It's, it's, it's very much in the public eye, and you really have to want to do this in order to be here. So I, I can't speak to why uh, previous executive directors didn't last very long, but I can say that I don't take this job. I didn't take this opportunity lightly. I am here for the long haul. I'm here because I want to be. I'm here because I see this as a tremendous opportunity for my hometown. And I will be here um, doing everything that I can to turn it all around. Well, uh, good luck to you and uh, welcome home. Thank you. I am very happy to be here. All right. Up next, we're going to talk about the impact of immigration law on non-immigrants in 2017. Really interesting conversation about how the rest of us are affected by the crackdown on immigration in Washington. Stay with us on Detroit Today. 